We're uh, continuing. This is our second week here of our pre-campaign. Uh, every year that I've been here, we do a fall campaign. And uh, really the intention behind that is to grow. Oh yeah, by the way, if you want your kids, uh, you can take your kids upstairs if you want to take advantage of a children's ministry. Now's the time to do that. But um, I've done a fall campaign and so there's a growth campaign that we engage so we can grow together as a church is the purpose of it. And um, the first year that I was here, the first fall, we did a, a campaign called Be the Message and it was all about living out the gospel. Being the hands and feet of Jesus and learning that that's really the call that Jesus places on our life is to represent him in the world around us. Last year, this last year, we've been focused on uh, be a, what it means to be a disciple. And we looked at those four chairs of discipleship that represent the four different calls of Jesus on our lives. The first one, to come and see, to check out who Jesus is. And after examining who he is and, and the claims that Jesus made to be the Messiah, and after discovering that he in fact did die on a cross, and he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death, and after discovering that it's really only through faith in him and him alone that I can experience the forgiveness of God and I can spend eternity with God and not be judged and held accountable for my sin, that I put my trust in Jesus. And it's through him that I experience life. And to, to make that decision is to move into the second chair and to become a follower of Jesus. And as a follower, I begin to learn and grow and I change as I engage the person of Jesus and the teachings that are in the scriptures of how I should live and, and what I should be doing. And I begin to transform, right? The, body, uh, the Bible calls me a new creation. And the old is gone, the new has come, and I begin to change. And that's what it means to be in chair two. And as I move through chair two, I reach a point where I look around and realize that though I need to grow and I have needs spiritually, that it's not all about me, but I need to see the needs of others and that God's gifted me and equipped me, equipped me to help serve. And so chair three is to move into that chair to become a servant and to start to work at the work of God. And then ultimately, uh, I move to the place where I st uh, move into chair four, which is to be a disciple maker, where I can help somebody else through that process. So that's what we've been focused on over the last year, is being a disciple and realizing that there aren't, uh, the four chairs don't represent lazy boys, where we sit and stay and just get comfortable, but we're supposed to continue to move and grow. And that's what God wants us to do. And so uh, this year, as I prayerfully considered, actually back in January, what it is that God might have for us this year, thinking of this journey and progression that we've been on as a church, is uh, uh, I, God impressed upon my heart uh, a series, a campaign called Be the Church. And to focus in on what it means to be the church and what God's intention was in even creating the church and starting it. And so last week, as we do these two weeks of preparation, next week's a big kickoff. So I want to encourage you to come next week. And, and uh, I keep forgetting to say this at the end, but if you can think of somebody that would benefit from being here, they should be in church and they're not here, would you invite them this week and say, hey, come on, be a part of this. We're headed somewhere. God's moving us somewhere as a church. Uh, and you might find that, that it's encouraging to them too. But as we move into this series, we're going to be focused in on, as I said, what is the church? And last week, as in preparation, I asked that question, why did God create the church? And we came to the conclusion that God created the church to accomplish the mission of God. And we realized that God is a God on mission. And his mission is to save us, the human race, born in sin and born separated from him because of our sin. That God has moved 
to save and to rescue. And so the great rescue mission that God is about uh, to rescue us, each and every one of his creation, that the people that you're around on a daily basis, many of them have not yet experienced salvation that is found in Jesus alone. And so you are an extension of Jesus. And as a church, we exist to help accomplish that mission. That's the purpose behind it. So last week we found that. Well, this week I want to answer that question. If that's why we exist as a church, to accomplish the mission of God, how do we stay focused on that? I don't know about you, but life is full of distractions. Uh, I don't know if you guys will remember this, but there's uh, way back in the history of Major League Baseball. You know, when I was a kid, I really liked baseball and I collected baseball cards and I'm into kind of some of the history. And of course, the current players in the late 70s and early 80s um, is when I was really into it. And so I heard of a couple of characters who had gone before some of the, the giants of the game. Uh, and, and one of them was named Yogi Berra and the other was uh, Hank Aaron. And so there's a story told of these two guys. Yogi Berra was a famous uh, catcher for the New York Yankees. And, uh, and Hank Aaron was the, the giant uh, chief power hitter for the Milwaukee Braves. And so these guys were in a uh, World Series playing each other. And Yogi Berra, the catcher, had a couple of jobs. One of them was to keep his team motivated, right? And so catchers, a lot of times, just constantly talking, right, in their role. And then the other job was to try to get the batters who would come up uh, to think about something else besides what they were there to do. And so uh, Hank Aaron steps up to the plate during this series and Yogi Berra uh, starts chattering at Hank Aaron, trying to get his attention. He says, hey, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. Come on, man, are you new at this? You're holding the bat wrong. Don't you know you're supposed to hold it so you can see the logo on it? Come on, man. Well, Hank Aaron didn't say a word. He stood right in there. And the next pitch, he swung and knocked it out of the park. And as he rounded the bases, coming into home plate, running past Yogi Berra, he said, hey, Yogi, I didn't come here to read. (laughs) I came here to hit the ball, right? Hey, listen, life is full of distractions. Life's full of distractions. In fact, we have more distractions now probably than we've ever had in the history of the world. We have distractions all around. One of the tricks in life is to try to stay focused, and yet it is a difficult endeavor There are so many things that grab for our attention and our focus. And yet as a church, so important that as as members of a church, as as partners in a church, it's so important that we all stay focused on what it is that God's called us to do. If we don't, we're liable to miss the mark. We're, We're liable to get off course and not actually work at what it is that God has for us to do. I believe this is one of the devil's chief strategies You know, not only is the devil, I don't know that he's so worried, uh, those of you that are followers of Jesus, with getting you to fall into some huge temptation and sin. I certainly would love to see that. I'm sure he's tempting you constantly, but you kind of have your guard up, you know, towards that. You kind of have your armor on, and you're kind of aware of that, so you're protected a little bit against it. But I think what the devil, maybe a greater strategy that he really works on us in is this area of distraction. Because the church that's distracted is an impotent church. It's a church that's not moving to work to accomplish the mission of God and to work at that. And of course, a distracted Christian is somebody that goes throughout their day forgetting that one of the primary objectives that they have is to represent Jesus in the world they live in. And so distraction is a tremendous strategy that the devil uses, and he'll use it on you. 
He'll use it on me. He's constantly working to keep us distracted. The church is Jesus' gift to the world. God really says through the church, I'm going to accomplish my mission. That is rescuing the human race. And so the church was created on purpose for a purpose. And yet again, we can lose sight of that. That the mission of God is why we're together. It's really the chief aim. And so in order for us to stay focused on the mission requires that we avoid distractions. That we fight against those distractions. And so this morning, I want to look at some distractions that can grab hold of us. When I think of this area of distraction, I think of a famous story in the Bible that you've maybe heard. It's a story about the disciples as they were out on the water one night in their boat, crossing a sea, and Jesus comes walking on the water and, and comes to meet their boat. He's walking on the water. Now, some people go, that's ridiculous. Nobody can walk on water. The one who created the water can walk on the water, okay? And Jesus is the one who made the water. It's not a big deal for him to walk on it. But he's walking on the water, right? He's, he's teaching his disciples something about who he is. And so here he is walking on the water, and Peter gets very excited about Jesus walking on the water. He says, hey, Peter, uh, Jesus, can I walk on the water too? Can I come to you? Jesus says, sure. In Matthew 14, starting um, in verse 29, Jesus says, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Peter's thinking, because I was walking on the water. I don't know. Maybe the idea that I might sink would cross my mind. Maybe you think sometimes, yeah, okay, Jesus, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to step out in faith. But there's a lot of issues in this world. And there's a lot of things that can grab my attention. And when I think of distraction, I think of this story because to me, Peter does what God calls us to. In fact, he went above and beyond. He said, hey, I'm going to do something above and beyond. Jesus, can I walk to the water on you? He was so filled with faith and hope and belief. And yet, as he got out on the water and began to do the impossible, he got distracted by the reality of what he had seen his whole life, which was water that you're not supposed to walk on. You can't walk on it. And he saw the wind and the waves and he started doubt. See, his focus got off of Jesus. And Jesus chides him about his faith. And certainly he could chide all of us a little bit about our faith. Why aren't you trusting in me? Why aren't you keeping your eyes on me? See, the truth is that Jesus is the head of the church and he leads us into the future, promising us that if we'll keep our focus on him, the impossible can happen. And yet distraction is something that grabs us. And so often we spend our lives as Christians distracted. And so I want to look at this this morning, three different distractions that can grab hold of us. And I think the devil uses these as tactics to try to get our attention over here, distract us from uh, what God wants us to do. But I also think we have a tendency in these directions to just be distracted because of our own nature. And, and so one of, the, one of the ones that we see early on in the scriptures I call the distraction of dissatisfaction. The distraction of dissatisfaction. Way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, we see, or really the book of Genesis, we see how God started things. The Bible tells us that God spoke, and we know from the New Testament that that was Jesus. 
okay? Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, that he was the creator, he spoke and the universe came to be. And it was through his breath, right? Through the words that came out of his mouth that creation happened. And in his speaking, God creates. And so this is how the universe came to be. And then we, we read further that, that God took uh, and formed from the dirt he had made, he formed Adam. And the Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And so Adam made in the image of God, representing God, made it his image, right, is created. And then as time goes on, God creates Eve from one of Adam's ribs. And so we have the first man and the woman created in the image of God to glorify God, to live in relationship with him, to reflect him. And we see that they encounter or they're placed in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, a lush paradise where every need and every want was met. They had no sin, no pain and struggle to grapple with. They were in complete, perfect paradise. And yet they were tempted to want something more. All of us grapple with this, the distraction of dissatisfaction with what it is that God has offered us. In Genesis chapter three, this is how the story goes, starting in verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Watch, if you would, in this engagement of this passage the devil's tactic because he'll use it on you I guarantee you already has it's part of the message the world system sends to us which is you have blessings from God but you're missing out there's more you could have if you'll see devil's the devil's tactic with Eve and by a uh, translation or by connection, Adam as well, is he begins by throwing a preposterous, a false uh, statement at her. God really said you couldn't eat anything here in the garden? And he goes, oh, no, 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 we can eat from the fruit. We just can't eat from one tree. Well, why is that? Well, because God said we'll die if we eat from it. And you'll see in that the devil's first distraction that he presents, which is to challenge what God says by speaking a lie, which is his words to Eve, well, you, you won't die. God's told you something that isn't true. How often do you grapple with that, with that question? Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God says. Is it really true? 
Come on, we struggle with that all the time because we can be distracted by dissatisfaction. We're missing out on something. God says, don't do that. Well, wait a minute. Maybe that's the thing that really where I'm gonna find fulfillment, right, in life. Something's being withheld from me. In fact, then the devil goes on with his next aspect of this distraction is he pitches the benefits to her of actually doing the opposite of what God says. He goes, oh no, God knows actually there's a benefit to you if you eat from that tree. Your eyes are gonna be open. God's trying to withhold something from you. He's telling you, oh no, I don't want you to have wisdom and knowledge. You're gonna know good and evil. You're gonna be like God. And so God's really trying to keep you down, trying to keep you in a place where you're subject to him, where he can easily control you, right? This is what is embedded in this distraction the devil's throwing at Adam and Eve. And so they listen. They, they listen to his pitch and they are convinced by it. And they take and eat. And the result is the same result that it always is. And that is guilt, remorse, and separation from God. This is the distraction. It's the results of the distraction of dissatisfaction that we as human beings have a tendency to not be satisfied with what God offers us, with what he presents to us. We think we're missing out on something and we want more. Have you believed the lie that what God is withholding from you is actually the thing that would give you fulfillment, happiness, satisfaction? The truth is that God asks us to give up trash in order to, in in trade for true treasure. That's the truth of it. God's offering us life. He offers us health and wholeness. He offers to heal us. He offers to give us real life. And yet we hold on oftentimes to the trash, which we get so attached to. And that's because we have a sin nature and we have an affinity and and an affection for things that are harmful to us. It is in our nature. And so that is why it's so important that we come to grips with the fact that we need forgiveness through Jesus. That we need our sin nature cut away from our beings. We need to be set free from that and made whole and released to live for God and actually experience life as God intended. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? Have you made a decision to trust in him? Have you come to the realization that you're separated from God by your sin And you're going to face judgment someday. You're going to stand before God and give an accounting for what you've done. And without placing your faith in the work of Jesus, his sacrifice for you, which God has done for you. He didn't ask that you get your act together and get your life cleaned up. He just said, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you so that you can be forgiven. So your sin can be paid for. Have you put your trust in him? I would urge you today not to leave this place until you have. God is offering you a relationship. Don't take the bait, the distraction of dissatisfaction that God's trying to withhold something from you. No, no, no. He's trying to give you everything. The second distraction that we can fall victim to, that we can get our focus on, that can take us off, focusing on the mission God's called us to and the relationship that God wants to have with us, I call the distraction of subtraction. The distraction of subtraction. What is that, pastor, you say? Well, here's what it is. In Malachi, we see an example of this. Here's what the principle is. That God asks things from me. 
There's no question that God asks you to sacrificially give up things in your life, okay? There's no question. To come to God is not just a a process of getting. It's also a process of giving up. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you're, yes, you have great things to gain, but you're going to have to give up some things too. And so God, in the word of God, God asks his people to give up, to sacrifice some of what they have. And the, the, the thing is that one of the distractions that we grapple with is the idea that when God asks us to give something up, there's going to be a deficit in our lives. That subtraction is going to leave us with not enough not going to have enough time, not going to have enough money, not going to have enough whatever. That if God asks me to give something, boy, if I give that up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a subtraction in my life, and then I'm not going to be able to make it. And we, we wrestle with this. This is a real issue. I've wrestled with it. I'm sure you have too. Can I really afford to give up what God's asking from me? In Malachi, God is talking to his people about a problem that they have with this subtraction. See, God asked the the, uh, nation of Israel in the Old Testament to tithe of their first fruits of what they would reap in the harvest. So they were agrarian culture. They they raised crops. They raised livestock. And he said, I want you to bring in to the temple 10% right off the top of what you harvest, uh, what you gain, what you get, the, the surplus, right? And so uh, this is what God asked them. And the nation of Israel had been withholding that. They'd been holding it back. They hadn't been bringing that tithe to the temple. And so in Malachi, God addresses this issue. Now, I don't want you to just hear tithes uh, and, 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 um, and our financial uh, finances, but really there's a principle here that applies to everything that God asks of us when, we, when he asks us to give something to him. It's a sacrificial gift that he asks and there's sacrifice required. And so, but here in this, what does God say in in Malachi 3, starting in verse 10, he addresses them about this issue of tithing. And he says, listen, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, listen to this. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Listen to the principle. God's saying, I'm asking you to bring in a tithe. The people of Israel are saying, we can't afford to do it. Maybe they were just greedily holding on to it, not willing to surrender it up. I don't know. But here's the point. Whichever it was, they were being distracted by the idea of subtraction. That if they gave up part of what they had, they don't have as much wealth. They're going to have a negative, a net negative in their life. And God goes, listen, test me on this. He goes, I don't work in subtraction and addition." That's not where I work. I work in multiplication. I'm asking you to make a subtraction from what you have, but I'm going to multiply back in your life. And it's going to more than fill in your life. Now listen, this is not a transaction. There's a brand of Christianity, a branch of what would be called Christianity that that does this health and wealth uh, preaching that says, hey, if you give a little bit, God's going to give you more. And you, you can gain wealth by just giving a little bit to God. 
That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, this from the word of God is more of a relationship with the people of God that God has with them. He's saying, listen, you're attached to your stuff and you put your stuff in front of me and that is hurting you. I need you to let go of some of your stuff. And not about you, but I have a tendency to get attached to stuff too. And sometimes God has to pry my grubby little fingers off my stuff because my stuff gets in front of him. And that's what's happening here. It's not about money, okay? It's about a relationship with God. But God commands us to give to him time, talent, treasure, to give him a portion of what we have because that helps keep us focused. Listen to me. It helps us keep focused on him. The things that he asks you to give represent very little in your life. They're not the important things. He asks you to give up the things that can become a distraction to you so that they don't become a distraction so you stay focused on him. I don't want you to hear this morning that God wants your money. What he wants is your heart. And that's what is being talked about here. And the truth is that the distraction of subtraction is the way we think as humans. In our sin nature, in our human nature, it's how we think about things. Addition, subtraction. The stuff I have, if I give it up, I have less. But God goes, no, you will have more. I'm going to multiply into your life. I'm going to bless your life. Somebody asked me between service, what are the things that multiply in your life? What are the things that God gives you back? Well, listen, Jesus promised that our needs would be met. So we don't have to worry about clothes and food, right? I'll take care of you. The second thing is he promises to give us those things that we cannot find in this world apart from him. And that is peace. That's joy. That's uh, belonging in him. Forgiveness. A clear conscience. These are the intangibles that God gives. And I can assure you, when you have those in your life, you have far more than you'll have if you have all the wealth in the world. And so we've got to learn this equation. Have you believed the lie that when God asks something from you, it's going to create a net negative in your life? That the things he's asking from you, if you give them up, you're not going to have enough. Well, if we were to uh, go to church every Sunday, right, then we wouldn't have enough time. We just, we need to do other things, right? We can't get everything done. If we were to get our kids to a one on Wednesday night, well, then they won't get their homework done and there won't be enough time to get stuff done and they're going to suffer from it, right? If we get to life group, well, then we're just not going to have enough time. You know, we just have too much to do. This is the way we think because we live in a world based on time and resources. I get it. But I'm asking you to consider for a moment this principle that that's a distraction. For you to think that way is just a distraction. Hey, look over here. Look over here. So you'll miss what God wants to do in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to build you up. And the things that are a part of what we're doing here as a church are a gift to you so that you can live a fulfilled life, so that you can grow. I've heard many people say, what do I have to give up to follow Jesus, right? And the truth is, it is the wrong question. What do I have to give in order to gain what God is trying to give me? The devil can keep you focused on the wrong thing, and if he does that, he can take the thing from you that really matters. There's a story out of the old Soviet Union, uh, a man named Khrushchev, who tells this story, he was one of the leaders in the Soviet party, about a wave of petty theft that uh, affected the nation, and, and uh, to curtail it, 
they posted guards at all of the uh, uh, places of employment because people were stealing. And uh, one of the timberwork factories where they dealt in lumber um, and wood goods uh, in Leningrad, there was a guard placed uh, in charge of watching that facility who knew the people there very well. He knew the people that lived there. And so he had an idea of the kinds of things they would do. And the first evening after he'd been posted as a sentry there to watch these employees as they left the building, ensuring they weren't stealing anything, um, a man by the name of Petrovic came out pushing a wheelbarrow. And in the wheelbarrow, he had a gunny sack. It looked kind of suspicious. The guard said, Petrovic, hold on a minute. What do you got in that gunny sack? So it's just sawdust and wood chips, nothing important. Dump it out on the ground. Let me see what you got in there. So he dumped it out on the ground. Nothing but wood chips, right? <laughs> and so, okay, put it in the back of the bag. You can go. This went on for weeks. And finally, the guard gets so frustrated, so curious. He's like, I know you, Petrovic. I know you're stealing something. I got to find out what it is. And so one day as he's leaving uh, the factory, he goes, listen, I know you. I know you're stealing something. Just tell me what it is and I'll let you go. I just got to know what you're doing. And Petrovic looked at the guard and he said, Wheelbarrows, my friend. I'm stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> Listen, a good distraction will throw you off. Are you staying focused on God and on his truth and what he wants you to do in your life? I can assure you that the distraction of subtraction is something that the enemy will use to keep you from doing what God is calling you to the things that happen in the church, the things the church offers are really there to enhance your life, to help you as an individual and as a family stay focused on God. If you'll stay focused on God, you will find that you have more than enough time and resources. In fact, you might have more. I love the story of Chick-fil-A. You know that, the Christian uh, you know, fast food place, right? Chick-fil-A starts and they go, the founder's a strong believer and he goes, we're not gonna be open on Sundays. That's God's day. And it doesn't mean you have to do it that way, but that's what his conviction was. And everybody said, you're never gonna make it. You're not gonna make enough money. All the competition's open seven days a week. How are you gonna make enough? Well, if you've been following Chick-fil-A, you know they're doing just fine. <laughs> doing just fine on six days a week. And so I just wanna encourage you not to be distracted by subtraction and the idea that when God asks something from you, that it's gonna create a net negative. It will not. You're gonna have more in your life. The last distraction I wanna look at this morning is the distraction of the past. I know not all of us have lived as long. I'm not old yet, but I can see it from here. And, uh, and so, you know, this age thing starts to affect us differently. And I have a tendency to think back to the 80s, you know, the greatest decade ever. Go, man, how awesome it was in the 80s. Mullets, hair bands, right? It was great. Even my kids can appreciate the 80s, right? Actual creativity, new ideas. Okay, I digress. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, we have a tendency to glamorize the past. This is a distraction. It's a distraction because uh, the enemy would love for you however old you are, to think about the past and glamorize it and think, boy, things were so much better then. God was doing amazing things. Oh man, I remember that time in my life. As I talk to people and as I listen to myself talk sometimes, we have this tendency to go, I, I used to do. Back when I was in college, this happened. God did amazing things. I grew. Boy, back when I used to be involved, I used to do that. I hear that all the time. I find myself saying that all the time. 
Can I tell you that that's a distraction for us? Because the truth is God is doing something right now. He has not left the earth. I know we can get focused on the difficulties we're facing. The truth is the past is meant to build our faith. The stories of the past are there to encourage us to trust God in the present, but not to live there. We gotta be careful of this. The nation of Israel had the same tendency in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is encouraging the nation of Israel in this regard. Saying, listen, I did some amazing things in the past. I did some miracles. I saved you, right? But, but he said, listen, don't get stuck there because there's something going on right now. In Isaiah 43, starting in verse 18, after recounting some of the amazing things God has done in the nation in the past, he says, listen, in verse 18, but forget about all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God is saying to the nation, don't get stuck in the past. Those great things, those great days when God did amazing things are there to encourage you. But he said, forget about that. That's nothing compared to what I'm going to do now. And might I suggest to you that in a season of difficulty and struggle that God is taking us through, the entire world, we're struggling. There's more people on the planet, right? There's more people that don't know God and haven't put their trust in him. There's more people in our community that are walking in that condition that we can be distracted by the past and thinking about the glory days of the past, but God is doing something right now. Pastor Ben, our youth pastor, was doing some addition. I'm trusting his addition. But that on Wednesday night, there was a great kickoff to Iwana. You've heard. Amazing. At youth group, as they get going for the fall, an amazing turnout. God's using that ministry. There's so many kids that are showing up there. We have life groups that meet on Wednesday night. We have Celebrate Recovery. That between all those ministries, maybe somewhere around 300 people engaged, right, at Mitchell Berean. I'm telling you what, that is so encouraging to me to see what God's doing right now. And yet we can be distracted by the past if we don't watch it. God is pouring in, I believe, fresh spiritual water into this valley. I see God doing things that from what I've heard have never happened before. And what we need to do is make sure we're ready with shovels to dig some new ditches for that water and to make sure it gets to our neighbors and it gets to the people we work with. And that we're not so focused on the past and what God did in the past that we miss what he's doing now. God is moving. God's moving. I want to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want us as a church to be focused, laser focused on what God's doing. As a result, or as part of this campaign, what I'm asking from you is to make some commitments And these are not small commitments. They're big. But I'm going to ask them because I believe that they're directly connected to us growing as a church and to us uh, staying focused on the mission of God. And so the first commitment is to be here each and every week, eight weeks of this fall campaign. Starting next Sunday, eight-week commitment. I know that's huge. We're all busy. We don't have time for that. I get it. I don't have time and I'm the pastor, right? So I know it's hard, but here's what I'm going to ask it anyway, because I know it's something that's going to benefit you and benefit us as a church. And so that's the first one. Second one is a commitment to get in a life group. 
And uh, back in the tables in the back corner over here by the, um, by the connection booth, we have life groups that have space in them. And we go along and study what we're preaching about on Sundays, what we're learning here. We get together in groups and discuss and learn and grow. And that's essential part to all of us growing at maximum capacity. And that's what I want for us. And the third commitment is to get involved in a ministry somewhere, serving. Look, those aren't, those aren't small. I know they're not small. And sometimes we can, be, we can feel pressured into making a commitment. Uh, one Sunday morning at the, the, uh, the small church, there was um, the final um, culmination of their building campaign. And they'd been talking about raising money to build the new building and they've been focused on that. And so here they go with the final finale where the pastor was gonna ask people uh, to make a commitment. And, and so that Sunday was so important, but the organist, remember back when there was organs in the church, the organist was sick, got sick that morning, couldn't show up. And so the pastor called the, the replacement, the backup organist said, could you be there? She said, sure. And he said, would you think about the song to play right after I asked the congregation to make their commitment to this campaign. And so she was prayerfully considering what song to play. And so the service went through, the pastor preached the message and got to the end where he asked the congregation, those of you that are ready to make your commitment of $1,000 to the building campaign, would you please stand up? At which point the organist began to play the Star Spangled Banner, (laughs) which cemented her position as the new organist for the church. Hey, sometimes you can feel a little pressured into a commitment. And believe me, I would love to put pressure on you to make these commitments because they're big. They're so important for you. But here's the thing. I don't want you to be pressured by me. I'm not here trying to put pressure on you. You have enough of that in your life. I want you to consider what God would impress upon your life. What is it that he's calling you to? Don't allow the distraction, the distraction, the distractions, right? Don't allow those to stop you from making the step, the decision, the commitment. We had a baptism last service. Joe Blank, he got baptized and he shared that he's been through some health struggles this year and his life group stepped up in such an important way to be there for he and his wife through this whole trial that he invited his life group to come up on the stage when he got baptized. He said, man, I don't know how we'd have made it without him. I want to tell you that the things that the church provides, things I would encourage you to do are not negatives, they're benefits. They're going to enhance your life. They're going to build your faith. And when God pours into your life, it's multiplication. Yes, he's going to ask you to give up some things. But what he's going to replace those with is more than you could ever imagine. I want us to be a church that's healthy, that's unified, that's firing on all cylinders, so that we can go after the mission of God. God, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for your call on our church. And God, I just pray that you would... You'd move in us, stir in us in a fresh way. God, we fall into patterns of behavior. We fall into ruts sometimes. We get stuck. And God, I just pray that you would jar us out of those, that you would allow us to take some steps towards you. Maybe we've been distracted by the ideas that we don't have enough dissatisfaction, that the things that you're withholding from us really we need and they're really gonna make us happy. God, help us to fight off that distraction. Maybe we've been distracted, uh, distracted, uh, distracted by subtraction and the idea that you ask us to give something up that it's going to create a negative in our lives. And yet, God, we know that help us to believe and trust you that you want to pour into us more than we could ever give up. God, maybe we've been distracted by the past a little bit or we get distracted there. And I just pray that you'd help us to connect to what you're doing now. 
to get on board, to be a part of it, to, to re-engage maybe in areas we've let slip. God, I know that you want to do something in us and through us. You want to do something in this valley and you're on the move. I pray that you'd help us as a church to move towards you, to fight off the distractions and stay focused. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.